It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 7th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Up first tonight, the California Report magazine lands in Nevada County. The report speaks with current and former Nevada Union High School students about a string of racist and homophobic incidents and the lack of action by the school board to address what students say is a habitual problem. Then, Election Day is almost here, and National Native News looks at the effort to mobilize Alaska Native and American Indian voters. We'll have your local news and weather before KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller lets us in on a local series exploring new images from the James Webb Space Telescope. The California Report magazine makes their way to Nevada County just in time for school board elections. After a series of racist and anti-gay incidents at Nevada Union High School in Grass Valley, students worked with administrators to draft a non-discrimination harassments policy update. The school board didn't pass the amendments, with one board member calling the proposal, quote, over the top. Now, with several board member positions up for election, a group of students, some even too young to vote, are mobilizing around candidates they say will take consistent racist and homophobic bullying inside the school more seriously. The Nevada Joint Union High School District School Board has three openings on the November 8th ballot. Candidates are vying for the position of Area 1, 2, and 5 trustee. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports from Grass Valley. Thomas Groover was well into his freshman year at Nevada Union High last year when he hit his limit. The school of some 1,500 students is almost 80% white. Thomas is white and Afro-Latino. I had a student say, let's lynch Tommy. Um, And I had a lot of other friends have things said to them. And I witnessed a lot of things too. Kids that were LGBTQ plus getting like rocks thrown at them at lunch, things like that. Yeah. The frustration also built early for Anthony Pritchett, who is half Filipino, half white. In his freshman year, there had been multiple racist comments. And then... I've been given a noose. Yeah. Wait, what? I've, I've been given a noose. Someone, someone tied a noose for me at lunch and gave it to me. I was just hanging out with my friends at school at, at lunch. Like kind of like a, almost like a casual manner, too. Just like, oh, here's the news, man. Look, look how funny this is. You know, those microaggressions and macroaggressions are completely there. They're real. And that lack of accountability is also completely there. Students of color say when incidents like this happen, both students are brought into the office. But then the offender typically denies they meant to offend, saying, for example, they didn't understand the history of lynching or that calling someone a monkey or handing someone a noose would be harmful. Racism has become quite insidious. It's, it's, it's quite stealthy. Because, kids of color say, the offenders know exactly what they're doing. Yet, when students were brought into the office by staff, they were often made to apologize to each other. That's what Marley Anderson says happened to her last year. Marley is black and says a student called her the N-word. Both students were called into the office by the principal. She made me explain how I felt, which was okay, but then she was like, explain to him how the N-word makes you feel and made me explain to him racism and how being counselors felt. 
like that is not a 15 year old's job to do who just got in this huge argument with this kid who's being racist and homophobic towards her. Like that's not, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to learn. Marley's parents moved her out of the district shortly after this. Students began organizing here inside the school library. They say their actions were inspired in part by the surge in activism following the murder of George Floyd by police in 2020. That summer, over 900 students and alumni, some now in their 20s and 30s, signed a document detailing the long history of their experiences with racist and homophobic bullying and harassment on school campuses. They presented it to the district. Superintendent Dan Frisella, who used to be principal at Nevada Union, says he read the testimonies and acknowledges the problem is real, but... To call it a racist school is way too broad of a stroke. So um, we're trying to evolve as a community and... um, As a culture, has some of it been accepted? Arguably, yes. But the district did recently decide to launch an anti-racism and inclusion task force to try and create a safer environment for students. And that caught the eye of the Nevada County Tea Party and a new group calling itself Protecting American Ideals. Members like Judy Wood started showing up at board meetings, including this one, held in a wrestling gym. Equity divides people by race and it ensures race-based equality of outcomes. It encourages discrimination to get there. Let me give you an example. It may help here to know that Nevada County is one of the whitest counties in the state. Grass Valley was historically a mining and logging town. It was also a sundown town until about the 1960s, meaning if you were black, you were not allowed in Grass Valley after dark. In the 1870s, Grass Valley ran its Chinese residents out of town. The Protecting American Ideals group convinced the school board to allow them to present an anti-critical race theory presentation at the meeting, saying they need to hear from, quote, the other side. That really upset students. When I started asking her questions, the questions to the director of the school, she dismissed me and accused me of being racist because I was a white man. I'm sorry, your time is up. Hundreds of people on both sides showed up. Anthony Pritchett, the one who'd been given a noose at school, was a senior at the time and the student trustee on the board. He watched the crowd of some 400 in horror. That was disgusting, sexist, bigoted, and racist. Sir, your time is up. Please respect our board rules. Please respect our board rules. That was terrifying. It was really, it was, it was, it was genuinely terrifying. We had um, our two vice principals at our school. There were these two larger men, and they were acting as, like, security, almost as bodyguards. Anthony says some people tried to spread out behind the board members, which really got him nervous. Bodyguards are, like, escorting people away from us. A couple times, like, when things got very tense. Conservatives were waving American flags. On the other side, anti-racist student activists, their families and staff, showed up in force and did jazz hands whenever their people spoke, since applause was not allowed. That was definitely a, a, a catalyst for that cultural war that, that really reared its head at, 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 in the district. You need to respect our board meeting. Yeah. No. The board is going into recess.
In subsequent board meetings, student after student, including Thomas Groover, pleaded with the board to listen to students and approve a new, stronger anti-bullying policy. The board can no longer ignore these issues regarding race and must set the precedent that nothing of this nature is tolerated. What is to stop the new policy, developed by students, staff, and the district, spelled out that microaggressions would not be tolerated and asked for parents of students committing those offenses to get involved in their kids writing a letter of apology. The board rejected it. Trustee Jim Drew. I don't think that portion of the uh, policy amendment is a good one, so I am opposed to this, uh, these amendments in this policy. Students like Anthony say that decision was like a gut punch. There's a lot of hope loss. There, it's like, where do, we, where do we go from now? And at that current time, it's like, well, nowhere. There's, it seems like there's nowhere to go. And for students, this is where the school board election suddenly becomes much more important. The, these elections really do bring some of that hope back because now we have a chance to put people into, put people that will listen into a position of power. The students are backing three candidates. One of them is Anthony's mom, Olivia Pritchett. We are so excited to have all of you guys here. And I would like to introduce She and the other two candidates held this student listening session where they told students they were on their side. Their opponents, the three candidates preferred by the Conservative Protection of American Ideals group, declined to speak with the California Report magazine for this story about where they stand on the students' calls for a more strict anti-bullying policy and more education around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Anthony Pritchett is now a freshman at UC Berkeley. He's 18 and registered to vote. So absentee ballots have been something that we've all been trying to figure out as new, new college freshmen. He's in group chats with Nevada Union High alumni like him, who are confused about how to register to vote, get their absentee ballots, let alone mail them in. It's hard for kids to find mailboxes. So far, about 30 of them have figured out how to mail their ballots back. Some Nevada Union students, like sophomore Thomas Groover, who are still too young to vote, say they're putting up lawn signs, convincing their parents to vote, and talking with anyone they can about the election. What's really at stake is your voice and ability to bring positive change. What's at stake is really the student's voice. Students are the board's constituents, Thomas argues. It's not just about him. It's also about his seven-year-old sister, who he says has already had a student ask her, what are you? I mean, for my sister, it honestly terrifies me that some, something like that was already said to her. Because yeah. uh, in a way, that's like, that's my little girl too. You know, that's kind of my kid, so... There are no polls suggesting which way this school board trustee election will go. For many Nevada Union High students trying to make change, it is the last chance, while they're still in high school, to get things right. For The California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy in Grass Valley. How do you ensure your ballot is counted when living in some of the country's most remote communities? With Election Day nearly upon us, a nonpartisan voting advocates group works with the Alaska Air Carriers Association to steward ballots, or what they call precious cargo, to their final destination. That's up ahead on National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. 
Get out the native vote efforts continue in Alaska ahead of Election Day. A voting advocate with a nonpartisan group to mobilize Alaska Native and American Indian voters says ballots going to and from remote communities will likely travel on small planes. That's why Michelle Spark with Get Out the Native Vote has been working with the Alaska Air Carriers Association to raise awareness about what she calls precious cargo. Spark says it's important for pilots and airline agents to recognize the packaging for election materials so ballots don't get pushed aside for other air freight. Let's make sure all the players are engaged and involved and that we're all prepared to make sure that our villages and our Native communities can vote with ease. Spark works with people like Donna Folger of Tanana, a village in interior Alaska, to raise awareness of voting. Folger plans on cooking breakfast near the polling site as an incentive to get people to vote. They get to have a cup of coffee and pancakes, scrambled eggs, bacon or spam. In other areas, like in western Alaska, one group of tribes is offering other incentives. The United Tribes of Bristol Bay plans to distribute a total of $20,000 to communities with the highest turnout. The money will go to schools and cultural programs. The Navajo Times reports Navajo Nation Council Speaker Seth Damon resigned Friday during a special council session. This comes after a photo surfaced of him allegedly intoxicated during a recent trip to Las Vegas. The photo shows Damon slumped over at a casino. Damon calls the photo unauthorized and admitted to the council that he was intoxicated, saying he was on a family vacation to support Navajo athletes at a national rodeo event and was not on official Navajo business. He was in his second term as Speaker. The Navajo Times reports Damon is running unopposed for the seat in the November 8th election to serve a third term and is likely to be reelected. He is reportedly going to rehab. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden has appointed Navajo Nation First Lady Fafilia Nez to serve as a board member for the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, it's in recognition of her broad support of indigenous communities. Nez is a longtime advocate for education, the arts, and the retention of Navajo language and culture. She was raised on Hopi partition land in Big Mountain, Arizona, in a traditional hogan. Nez holds an honorary doctorate in humane letters from Northern Arizona University and for 15 years has served on various boards, task forces, and commissions. According to the White House, as First Lady, she's been an advocate for restoring and strengthening homes and families. In a statement, Nez says she's humbled to join the Kennedy Center's Board of Trustees and that performing arts are essential to the well-being and health of all communities. Nez was among seven appointees made by President Biden last month. They include business people, philanthropists, government officials, and others. The board provides guidance for the organization that hosts upwards of 2,000 performances a year and is the home of the National Symphony Orchestra and the Washington National Opera. It's also a living memorial to President John F. Kennedy, who was instrumental in the center's creation. For National Native News, I'm Ryan in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You've probably seen those car ads, low price, low payments, but when you get to the dealer, there could be a catch. If a dealer isn't honest when it comes to its car ads, tell the Federal Trade Commission, the nation's consumer protection agency, at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at local news. Still need to cast or drop off your November 8th ballot? Ubinet has a handy list of all Nevada County voting centers and ballot boxes, and the times they're open on ubinet.com under Nevada County November 2022 election. And this election day may just be unprecedented. According to the website Earth Sky, it's the first total lunar eclipse ever to officially fall on a federal election day in the U.S. The San Francisco Chronicle says the total lunar eclipse, known by some as a blood moon, will start just after midnight on Tuesday, November 8th. It'll be the second full lunar eclipse this year and the final full lunar eclipse for three years, according to NASA. Total lunar eclipses occur when a full moon, the Earth, and Sun all align so that the moon passes entirely through the shadow of the Earth. And blood moons got their name because the Earth blocks the Sun entirely, with only a bit of light from the Earth's atmosphere reaching the moon's surface. Here on Earth, we see only the colors with longer wavelengths, orange and red, giving the moon a bloody rust-red color. Now, turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, showers and possibly a thunderstorm with a low around 39. Wind between 13 and 20 miles per hour with gusts up to 26 miles per hour. Tuesday, rain before 10 a.m., then showers after 10 with a high near 42. Windy with gusts up to 33 miles per hour. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, an 80% chance of snow with a low around 21. New snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches is possible. Tuesday, new snow accumulation of 5 to 9 inches is possible with a high near 33. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning for the Truckee Tahoe region in effect until 4 a.m. Wednesday, November 9th. Heavy snow is expected. Be prepared for additional snow accumulations of 10 to 20 inches above 7,000 feet. Travel could be very difficult to impossible. Be prepared for whiteout conditions and sub-zero wind chills along the foothills and ridgelines of the Sierra. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, rain mainly after 10 p.m. with a low around 48. Tuesday, rain before 10 a.m., then showers between 10 and 11 a.m., and possible thunderstorms later in the afternoon, with a high near 54. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Saturday, November 12th, Peace Lutheran Church in Grass Valley kicks off a series of programs featuring images from the new James Webb Space Telescope. Up ahead, KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller speaks with series organizers, astronomy professor David Dunn, physics professor Sterling Bailey, and pastor David Mullen. 
Gentlemen, how does it come to be that Peace Lutheran is sponsoring a series of programs on the James Webb Space Telescope? I'm a member at Peace Lutheran Church, and I'm in charge of our seminars on matters of contemporary interest. And I felt that it would be of interest and benefit to both our congregation and the broader community. So I asked Professor Dunn to participate because of his expertise in astronomy. And I asked Pastor Mullen to join to give us some perspective on the interaction of science and the faith community. What is the attitude of the church towards modern cosmology? This is Dave Mullen here. Our church has organizations of scientists within it, strongly supportive of scientific enterprise in a whole variety of fields. We have a very positive, open attitude toward science, cosmology. This Saturday, you've got the second in this series. What was the response to the first one this past Saturday? We had a wonderful response. It was between 90 and 100 people, and more than half of those were from the broader community. The Hubble Space Telescope is still giving us wonderful data, wonderful images. The Hubble, though, only sees a little bit into the infrared. It's mostly a visible light telescope, the same region of the spectrum that our eyes respond to. The James Webb Telescope is much larger, so it collects a lot more light. But also the James Webb only sees a little bit of the visible. Mainly it is an infrared telescope. How are you using those differences? to turn your audience on to what the James Webb is showing us. One of the purposes of James Webb is to look deeper into the universe. James Webb is really sensitive to these very distant galaxies that Hubble just cannot see, where we can get to, to find out what a galaxy is like when they're very, very young, in the very beginning, near the very beginning of the universe. And even just the first few weeks, they discovered like the furthest galaxy ever seen. We've seen some amazing images from the James Webb Telescope. Are there some favorites, either of yours or some real crowd pleasers? I'm a planetary scientist, so I've been really fascinated with uh, the picture of Jupiter as really a test image of the equipment and to see whether it could track a moving target. Most targets are stars and they're not moving, but Jupiter does move. And then Neptune was a great surprise here. We could see the rings of Neptune, which again, we knew about, but never could really see well, if at all, from the Earth. And we really saw how little Neptune reflects infrared light. The largest moon actually is far brighter than Neptune in the infrared. It reflects much more light because it's made of ice. We've got another presentation coming up next Saturday. Where and when? Peace Lutheran Church in Grass Valley, 828 West Main, just up the hill from downtown. And it will start at 10 o'clock on Saturday. I've been speaking with David Dunn and Sterling Bailey, professors of astronomy and physics, respectively, at Sierra College, and Pastor David Mullen of Peace Lutheran Church. For KVMR, I'm Al Stalin. That's our newscast for this Monday, November 7th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and... Volsbro's Automotive, serving the community since 1982. Located at 962 Golden Gate Terrace in Grass Valley. Same workmanship, customer service, and community involvement. Online at volsbros.com. And Mercury Cleaners and Drapery Service, 
family-owned since 1971, offering full-service, eco-friendly dry cleaning and laundering of most fabric items. Two Grass Valley locations, Brunswick Basin, also South Auburn Street has delivery service available. MercuryCleaners.net Keep it tuned to your community radio station. Coming up at 6.30, it's Disability Wrap with hosts Carl Sigmund and Carly Pacheco. We'll be broadcasting Democracy Now!'s 2022 election night coverage tomorrow, November 8th, instead of our usual KVMR evening news. And KVMR's Steve Baker will break in from time to time with local election updates. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.